And I would encourage you that as you get ready to take and read, say a prayer. It can be a short, simple prayer and just say, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. It could be a short prayer that just says, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see you for who you really are. You can come to him and say, Lord, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I need rest. You are clearly a God of compassion. Please have compassion on me. Give me rest and feed my soul. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome to the Take and Read Podcast. Here we are, episode 29. Man, they're starting to stack up. Mm. I don't know how many you've been on, but maybe five or six. And uh, yeah, we're plotting along. And yet, we are only in Mark chapter six. We've only traversed like five and a half chapters of the Bible. It's pretty amazing how fast or slow you can read the Bible. Yes. Pastors used to joke about, and still do, about how they could do an entire sermon on three, four, five words. Yes. And they're not kidding. Yeah, they are not kidding. I've, yeah, I've, I've been in those congregations. I've had those kind of pastors that will take a verse of the Bible and preach maybe four sermons in a row on that one verse and highlighting different components. So it's, it is a treasure trove. There's a, an example that I recently heard about uh, some people that complain that when they read the Bible, they're not getting much out of it. And I think it's because maybe they go too fast through it. And this example that I re- or illustration that I recently um, heard, I think is just spot on. But it, it says, you know, you notice in nature, there are, are two types of insects that gather nectar or pollen. You've got one that kind of is beautiful, has big wings, flutters around, and you can look kind of out in a field and you can see it kind of bouncing around from flower to flower, not spending much time at different ones, but just kind of getting what is ever most accessible and just readily available. And that would be a butterfly where it's just kind of bouncing around. It's beautiful, but it very brief in its experience of gathering um, nectar or sustenance. Hmm. The other one you have is a bee and bees will go land on a flower, climb in and as deep as the cavern goes of that flowers, like kind of petals, it'll crawl in there. It'll walk around. It'll try to gather as much as it can from that one particular flower before it moves on to the next. However deep it has to go, however long it has to stay, it hangs out there comes out and then flies to the next flower does the same thing whereas a butterfly it's bouncing all over the place and and it's interesting because the life of those two insects is also very telling that a butterfly will die that season with those flowers a bee will go into its hive and because of all of the the ways that it is kind of absorbed sustenance from the pollen and made nectar 
and or I mean honey, it will go into its hive and endure the winter. So when the harshness comes and the weather comes, it's still able to endure because of the way that it's gathered and collected. And I think that's, man, there's something to that in the life of a believer that, man, the way that we engage with the Word of God, the way that we gather, right, and and camp out and stuff will be telling in the times when we have spare time, when we are in a doctor's office and there's nothing, there's no good magazines, there's no TV on, and we're just kind of stuck to ourselves. Those that have spent time in the Word can recall and and meditate on the Word of God in those kind of moments of, of rest or solitude. Um, or when tough seasons come and, and we're wrestling with doubts and fears and questions, man, we'll be able to recall the faithfulness of God through His Word. But those who don't spend time in the Word and just kind of take a precious moment thought for the day or a quick little pick-me-up, and that's all that they see the Bible as, well, they're they're not going to be sustained when hard times come. That's just a reality. Yeah, I, I really can't stress enough how much the um, devotionals can be helpful, but how that's just, it's uh, such a light, uh, it's like a soda or something that's not going to sustain you mm-hmm. versus like the vegetables and the meat and the potatoes of the actual word when you sit down and you read it and you look at the what's the context before that verse though and then what's i mean everyone everyone's heard john 3 16 but what was john mm-hmm. 3 15 and what's john right. 3 17 and what's the context around it and it just sinks into your soul when you look at the the context and you and you read it for what it is and the way it was meant to be read amen so what have you been chewing on lately what is the lord kind of having you wrestle with where are you at in the word uh you you put me on this book called Practicing the Presence of God. Mm-hmm. It's an individual, I think, in the 1600s, 1700s. Brother Lawrence. Yeah. Was washing dishes in France and was the most joyful, fulfilled, at peace Hallelujah. human that I've ever seen write words. And it's almost to the point where you're like, okay, chill out, man. Yeah. He goes very over the top, but it really is just a testament to his relationship with the Lord. And then just auditing my own life and going, how much of my day is actually spent practicing that presence of God and how much of it is forgetting about him during the day when I go to work Mm -hmm. and then, and then coming back to him in the evening for my time in prayer. Right on. And just realizing, you know, at, it's easy, you know, at 7.15 a.m. during your prayer to really feel that peace. But then how are you at 11.34 when that really bad news hits of that fire that you have to put out at work mm. or you heard so-and-so, uh, so-and-so did something that they, they weren't supposed to or you have that big test the next day or whatever it is and just really forgetting God's promises. And I actually saw Tim Keller uh, tweet the other day that reminded me of it. Hmm. And he said... Lord, I worry because I forget your wisdom. I resent because I forget your mercy. I covet because I forget your beauty. I sin because I forget your holiness. Mm -hmm. You always remember me, help me to remember you. And it's just this prayer of, man, help me just remember you throughout this day, hold me fast. Because my eyes, my ears, this world is so distracting. And yeah, it's competing for your allegiance. There's so many other things 
that want your worship and want your allegiance. And uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy throne above, as the old hymn goes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, that's good stuff. So, yeah, if you're curious about what Parker's referencing, uh, I'd made mention of a a very small book written by uh, a saint that has gone before 1600s named Brother Lawrence. He was a monk, and his role and task in the monastery back in the day was he washed dishes for all of the other brothers in the monastery. That was his function. So not a from human perspective, noble task or not on the kind of the cutting edge or the front lines of ministry. His, his task was to serve in the kitchen, washing dishes in a, in a probably a a task that no one really thought about or gave much attention to. And yet his, uh, his meditation on his life and his joy in his life because he practiced the what he called the presence of God in the mundane. It's pretty profound. So go out and find it, practicing the presence of God. It's a good uh, addition to your daily Bible reading, taking and reading, because it, it just puts on display the life of, of a faithful believer and some things that we can glean from that lifestyle. Cool. Well, everything else in your life good? Yeah, it's great. Getting married next month. Woo. That's a that's a reason to say one of my favorite phrases. Mm. <laughs> Do you is there like you know the guy that says let's get ready to rumble? He's got that like copyrighted. Like he no one else is allowed to publicly do the whole let's get ready to rumble thing before like a boxing match or a fighting mm-hmm. match. Like I don't know who the guy is, but he's have you guys copyrighted the way that that Earl says I know that I know that it's copyrighted for use on apparel, but yeah. there actually is a song out there called Yee Yee. And I guess we didn't have that part copyrighted, so that was a little unfortunate. So someone else made a song. Yeah. <laughs> Another musician made a song called Yee Yee. Oh man. Yeah, okay. It is interesting. That it's is on, interesting. It's on YouTube. I would not recommend going and watching it, but it is, it is interesting. Uh, so do you have a, like, do you say yee Is that something you say? I mean, I know that you're CEO of the company, but is that a phrase you use? Um, or is it now too cliche? No, I use it. Okay. Yeah. I live the brand. Okay. If that's what you're asking. Yeah, I'm asking. Yeah. So what's an occasion in which Parker will kind of let out a yee like, are you in church and the preacher brings like a sweet word and you're like, yeah. we should start that. Right. Instead of just yes or come on, just, just, let's just have the congregation start yelling when there's so something there like. One of my mentors, it's not my story, but it is one of my favorite stories was uh, a mentor of mine tells this story about when he, he had grown up in a very conservative uh, Christian experience. Uh, but now he's he's kind of grown up and and he's he's a husband and he's got four kiddos and they're all sitting in the pew and they're in a a an environment where it's a little bit more kind of expressive in worship. 
So there he is on a Sunday morning and, and they've been going for several months and, and, you know, people, when they hear something that's really moving that the preacher says, or maybe something in music that man just really stirs them, they, you know, let out an amen, like, amen. Well, he's building up the, the courage to kind of show that he's in, he's a part of the community. He's, he's going to, he's decided, okay, this particular Sunday, He's going to let them have an amen, and he's just going to let the whole community know that he's now one of them. Like, he's, he's okay. He's overcome his fear. And uh, <laughs> he's, like, waiting for the, the right time in the service to kind of go, okay, yeah, that was powerful. And it was after some, like, music solo or something like that. And so people are clapping, and he's ready to give out this amen, and the clap, clapping kind of starts to die off. And it, what comes out of his mouth next is not amen, but it is a sound that one would use to maybe call like your dog to get in the back of the pickup. And it's more of like a, yeah, like he lets out this just guttural like sound and everyone kind of turns and looks at him. His wife is like slowly turning her head like, what was that? His kids kind of melt off the pew and try to hide because they're like, what is dad doing? And so I always think of that. And so I think that, man, maybe the first couple times a, a, just a solid yee would would really turn some heads. But yeah. I, I think we could get it fired up, though. Yeah, maybe we could get it going. Okay. Well... Uh, if you are somebody that gets pretty fired up in in worship service and, and when a, a preacher gets after it and you're willing to let out a yee-yee, please leave a comment and uh, tell us the story. That would be fun to hear. Anyway. Okay, well, we came here for one purpose. It's fun to catch up, as always, but uh, we're going to jump into the text. We're going to jump into Mark chapter 6 and... Uh, we are entering a, a fairly kind of famous passage or episode in the life of Jesus. So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that, and we're going to read it and uh, chew on it. So here we are. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, and it's going to take us through verse 44. We are reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible. So if you're reading along there. You might be in a different translation. That's great. Uh, what that means is as we read this and you read your translation, if you identify words that are kind of different than the ones you hear us reading and talking about, that's just a great opportunity and a great place to kind of start to chew on why is that word different. I'm wondering what is behind the different translation. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's definitely good. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. 
send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of, fi- and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Very interesting. Very interesting layers here. So we first want to understand what does it say? What is the scene uh, that we see here? We, we understand the apostles return to Jesus. And so right before this is this kind of scene that happens with Herod. And he's hearing people talk about Jesus. And he's wondering if it's John the Baptist whom he had killed, if that if John had raised from the dead. And so there's that little episode, and that's just kind of like a, a sidebar in the flow of the timeline of things. But right before that, we understand that what Jesus has done is he has sent out the 12 apostles two by two to go take nothing for their journey except for a walking stick and the, the clothes on their back and go from house to house sharing the good news, demonstrating the kingdom as well as telling about the kingdom of God coming. And so that's where they've just returned from. They've returned to Jesus after having gone out two by two, preaching the gospel and demonstrating the gospel, like casting out demons, healing people. And so that's where they've just come back from. And he just said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest because they've just been out ministering. So they're, they're tired. They're weary from their journey, from preaching ministering, casting out demons, healing people. And so uh, they had no leisure even to eat. So they're tired, they're hungry. And he's like, all right, let's, let's pull away. Let's, let's, go, let's go be by ourselves for a little bit. But what else happens? Yeah, so I'm just imagining they're, they're tired. They're ready to rest. They're so busy. They can't even eat. I think we've all been in that situation. You're yeah. in that situation every day around lunchtime. I feel like <laughs> yeah. when you have so much going gets, on. My day gets packed for sure. And so they, they get in this boat and these people see them in the boat. And I guess they, they're looking at them and they probably have a good idea of where they're going, their trajectory. They're watching this yep. boat in this bay or in this sea, wherever they are. Yeah. And they're probably asking wherever they left, did they say where they were going? Because people are needing to be healed and they're knowing that there's something with this Jesus guy that is crazy. And so he's intriguing. And so they wanted to to see them so much that they literally got there. They're like running around the shoreline. Ahead of them. So, you know, the disciples are just sitting there going, are you kidding me? Yeah. I thought we were going to go rest and go to a desolate (laughs) place. And so there's this massive crowd waiting for them when they get there. So that must just be a little annoying for the disciples, I would imagine. Yeah, there's there's a few episodes in the ministry of Jesus where 
we see a a couple of things at play. And this one happens here in verse 34. So they've, all these crowds have followed him and figured out where he's going to land on the shore, right? This desolate place. So they, they meet him. So it's no longer desolate. It's very inhabited by thousands of people. We know at least 5,000 men, which gives us indication that it, there was probably maybe that many women and children, perhaps. We know from other narratives that it's a boy who brings forward the food that they end up using. We don't know that necessarily from this um, version of the episode. but So we've got more than 5,000. Could be up to as much, as many as 10,000. But you've got thousands of people now occupying this desolate place, so it's no longer desolate. And notice that when he went ashore, Jesus, he sees first a great crowd, Second, after seeing, he then has compassion. And what we understand is that compassion is not just sentiment. It's not for Jesus a a time in which he just feels bad for somebody and his heart's broken and he's like, oh, that's really frustrating, and then doesn't do anything about it. But every time in the scriptures Jesus sees And what it's also interesting here, it says that he sees them and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. So here are these people that have no one to care for them, protect them, or provide for them. That's what a shepherd does for sheep. A shepherd kind of helps take them to green pastures so they can feed, stands watch over them so that if any enemies come and attack them, there will be another episode in the ministry of Jesus where he sees a crowd has compassion and says they are like sheep without a shepherd. And he's referencing the fact that the religious leaders of the time are not actually shepherds, but actually causing them to be in harm and carry burdens and and starve. And so the ones that are supposed to be shepherding are now the ones that are the abusers of the sheep, which is very interesting. He doesn't say that here, but he, he uses similar language. And so he has compassion and his compassion leads to action which is very important, I think. He doesn't just have a sentiment like, man, those people are in a rough spot. Man, I hope it works out for him. But he, he's moved to do something. He responds with the compassion, which is what we call love, right? Love is, is a verb. Love is an action. It's not a sentiment. It's something I try to tell my kids all the time, that love is not this fuzzy feeling you have. It's not the butterflies. We, we love someone when we serve someone, when we do something about it. It's not just a, a warm, fuzzy feeling that we have. So, yeah, he sees him. He has compassion. He's moved to it. And so then that sets up the rest of the episode, right? This miraculous event that we call the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, so now it's late, and the disciples, the disciples are ready to be done. They said, we're in a desolate place. They're far from home send them away so that they can go and buy themselves something to eat. It's late. Jesus, we didn't even come here for this. Yeah. We came here to rest. Okay. You taught them now send them home. Yeah. The disciples have to to wait until evening. Like they're already hungry. They're tired. They get on the boat. They cross the waterway. They arrive on the next shore. They get off the boat and Jesus sees this crowd and is like, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. I've got to do something. So what does he do? He teaches for hours. Like he teaches 
while the disciples wait. And then it's evening, and it's like, all right, these guys are starving. The disciples are probably like, we're starving. What are we going to do? We got to send these people away. They got to go eat something. And they're probably thinking, we got to eat something. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm reading into the, the scene, but you can only imagine, like, if you track with the timeline here, yeah, it's. And Jesus is pretty forward here. He just gets straight to the point. They go, send them away so they can buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Yeah. Knowing very well. They don't have anything. They did not have enough. <laughs> <laughs> they just came back from ministry, not taking any food with themselves, not having anything other than the clothes on their back and some walking sticks, knowing that they're also hungry. And he's like, you give them something to eat. So they fall right into it. And they said, okay, so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go buy all of this bread to give to them to eat? We don't have that money. How many loaves do you have? Go and see as Jesus's reply looks like. Yeah. So Jesus is like, all right, let me know what you have. They see it and they say, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And so Jesus now is like, okay, let's get down to business. Everybody right. sit down. Okay, everyone have a seat. And the disciples are probably thinking, around. what do you, what's the plan here? Like five loaves. That's a decent amount of food. Two fish. How big are we talking? Like, I don't know, but where I'm from, trout, that's enough for, like, I can eat a trout. They're talking about probably much bigger fish, but. It's interesting to me here that it just gets straight down to the point. There's no, and maybe this is just the writer who's just, just getting to the point because right. we know in scripture that they're writing what down the it's the word of God. This is what we're meant to know. No more, no less. Right. right. And so it's interesting to me how sometimes how forward it is. And you're mm -hmm. the reader thinking, hold on, can you explain a little bit more in that? And the disciples are like that half the time too. Yeah. Because it just gets straight to the point there. He goes, he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing and broke the, the loaves and gave them, gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. Yeah. And you're the reader going, what? Yeah. I mean, and, and for our conversation, we'll stick to this section in Mark, but if you're, if you're tracking with us and you want to kind of, a fun exercise would be to take this same episode and it is recorded in Matthew chapter 14, Luke 9 and John 6. You can see this same episode and there are interesting details that you gather from the different accounts that happen here. Uh, so yeah, that would be a, a fun study. And I don't know that the question is, well, why did Mark leave this stuff out and why did these other people include, but there is something to be helpful in just taking Mark's account and going, okay, from what Mark has recorded, what are, what, what does Jesus want to mm -hmm. want us to glean from this episode, from this account of it? And even from what, um, perhaps Mark or again, this is the preaching of Peter. So what is it that, that Peter intends for us to have here, but God ultimately the one orchestrating the word here. So 
what are we to glean? Um, so that's, that's maybe the question here. What, what does this episode mean? What does Jesus's words and actions, how do those impact? And then there's a couple of parties at play here. There's all of the crowd that's gathered and then there's the disciples. Like, what does this, what does this mean for them in the moment? Well, to kind of split it up into chunks toward the beginning, I think it's interesting that Jesus leading his disciples is concerned for their well-being. He knows that they need to rest. Right. He's a very aware that they haven't been able to eat all day and he's probably tired himself. Right. So I think it's interesting that, you know, you're Jesus Christ, you're the son of God. Part of you in your mind forgets that he was truly human. Right, he hungered. And so you think that, oh, he just preached all day. He would never turn anybody away. He would never go to a desolate place when there was all of the thousands of people that needed healing at that moment. Jesus took the time to say, no, we need to go to this desolate place and we need to go rest. Yeah. And then it cuts into the moment where, okay, now he sees the thousands that are there. Like you said, he doesn't turn them away. He sees them and has compassion on them. And then he performs the miracle and feeds them. Yeah. And there's something to be said about the type of people that are gathered. These are people that identified, like you pointed out earlier, the, they're people like, hey, wait a minute, that's Jesus. Those are the disciples. These are people that maybe had just experienced the power of the kingdom of God and the preaching about the kingdom from the disciples as they had been sent out. These are people that had probably heard Jesus's reputation that's now growing because that reputation, even in the, the verses right before this, that King Herod has now heard of his reputation. So his reputation is growing and gaining power and awareness. And it's his message is about the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so the people that are gathered are not necessarily like other crowds that are trying to trip him up trying to challenge his authority, trying to trap him in his words. But these are people that just desperately want him and what he can do. And so when he sees these people yearning for him, he has compassion. And there's no end to the how much he'll give them. He'll teach. He'll give of himself all that he has, right? And I think there's something to... Man, when I when I look at this, those present in the crowd, as well as those disciples, they're seeing a picture of God that may be different to them. An understanding of the character and nature and just who God is. That, man, for many, God may have been for a long time this remote, removed deity that maybe didn't seem to care about him because they hadn't heard from him for hundreds of years from any of the prophets. And the religious leaders are heaping up more and more rules on them about how they have to maintain, you know, certain practices in order to be in good standing with God. From their perspective, God has kind of left them to be sub, you know, subject to the Roman authorities and government. Now they're burdened with taxes and all kinds of other things because they're under Roman rule. And so there could have been this growing sense that where is God? What is he like? And is he even good? And so to contrast that possible disposition and belief, that's not too far-fetched with here's a God who 
sees and has compassion on sheep without a shepherd and will will shepherd them with everything he has to the end of his strength. Man, I just... (laughs) How can you not... How can you not like that God? Yeah. It's interesting, too, after everything that we've read through Mark, that the disciples still just fall fall right to, for his question. He goes, why don't you feed them? And they go, and they just don't, it just goes right over their head. Mm-hmm. They have zero clue that he has the ability to feed them after all the people that he's healed, after all the miracles that he's done. Yeah. Their, their answer is, what are we supposed to go buy all this stuff? What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. And they, they were with Jesus. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. There were definitely, they're wrestling with who he is and what he's capable of, even though they're walking with him daily and he is providing for them and teaching them and leading them. There's still this disconnect that they have. And we're going to see that grow. He's going to continue to do things in front of them and bring them into understanding uh, through the things that he does and, and what he teaches. So, but that, I think that's important to point out here. Anything else that we, you I mean, your the first brushstroke is to understand what it says. Then we wrestle with what it means and what it means to the disciples, what his actions and words mean there, what it means to the people gathered. And then there's also this wrestling with what does this story mean to the original audience for Mark, Mm. right? That here are Mark's, this is presumably Peter's preaching and teaching collected from his time with the Christians in Rome. And so here is a group that are wrestling with who Jesus is and he's bearing testimony, right? He's, this is the teaching of who Christ is to that people group. I think that they would probably read it and, and think there's a lot of people who cared about what this guy had to say so much that they stayed super late in a very desolate place. And that may have been a dangerous journey home there with their families and maybe I should listen to what he has to say too. And then number two is just the miracle that he performed. And oh, if he wasn't already intriguing to them, he's performing this miracle and feeding these 5,000 people. Yeah. He must be the son of God. Yeah. I think we have to realize that this isn't, this miracle is not like a metaphor. That really happened. Like that's a historical event that literally happened that there were five loaves and two fish provided to Jesus as sustenance for nearly 10,000 people. And he, he literally had them all sit down in this giant field and he starts passing around baskets of food. And he is literally miraculously creating out of nothing enough bread and fish to feed thousands of people not just to like not just enough or not just to kind of take the edge off the hunger but it says that they were satisfied in verse 42 Mm -hmm. and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 
12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. So they had 12 baskets of food left over. <laughs> so there's like, there, there's that passage that in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians chapter 3, that he who is able to do more abundantly than we ever expect or imagine. That's the God of the universe. That's the God we serve. That's the God that loves us is the God that isn't like, Parker, I'm just going to meet, I'm just going to give you what you need and you'll have to deal with that. You may want more, but I'm just going to give you what you need. No, but we, we serve a God that says, I will do for you more than you imagine, more than you expect, more than you could possibly handle. That's how I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. Now that doesn't mean, well, then my life's going to be happy because the disciples go away from here. And when Jesus eventually is arrested, crucified, resurrected and ascends, he leaves and their life does not get better. That does not happen for them. Like their life gets much worse. Hmm. How, so how can it be that when Paul says, to him who is able to do far more than we ever imagine or need, to him be the glory forever and ever. So there's got to be something more than just the material comfort of this world, hmm. the physical appetite and pleasure of this world. There's got to be something more that God is up to in our life than just meeting our needs. However, he demonstrates that, yes, he's able to to sustain you physically. He's a God who's able to do that more than you can imagine. And yet he's got even more planned for us. So powerful. Other thoughts, meaning and possible significance. Cause that's really what, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think it's important to wrestle with what it says, what it means. And then the, Okay, if this is what it means here, I've located this passage in, in its place, right, in the Bible where the time and the people that are involved in this original um, experience and episode in the life of Jesus, and also even the meaning that it's going to have for the original audience for Mark. But then what we wrestle with is if this is what it means then how do we apply that or experience that meaning for us? So what is the significance, right? That's our experience of that meaning. Why is this significant for you in your life today, Parker? There, I'm putting you on the spot, buddy. Well, I, I see it as uh, maybe similar to how the original audience saw it to where, okay, there's, there's, something, there's something about Jesus, that the people in this day, they, they didn't have a Bible to refer to. They didn't have the gospel subconsciously in their mind from right. society or from their culture that we have today, where we just see it and we just think, oh, it's just the Bible. This is just what your grandma yeah. read. This is just what you read. If you want to be a better person, if you want to, you give this to your brother-in-law who's had trouble with drugs. Right. It was, it was people seeing a guy on a boat and a guy nudging the other guy and going, Hey, I think there's something about that guy. We need to go listen to him. He healed so and so. He there, there's something about his message 
that I think is going to be really significant. So let's go run two or three or four, who knows how long miles where there's no food. We don't know if there's going to be water there, but we just need to be with that guy. And so I just see it really literally. And I just think there's these people, thousands of them, just a horde of thousands of people going and staying late into the night. They didn't even know if he was going to preach to them or not. It's not like they knew that he was going to stop. They just were like, I just want to be where that guy is. It gives me chills just thinking about it. And, and then also the disciples. So first of all, I asked myself, do what perception do I have of Jesus and God in my head? That is not that is not from him. That is just from my culture. That's just a, a preconceived notion of him. Mm-hmm. And then I think about the disciples who were with him and knew him and saw his miracles. And yet they still, they just constantly don't have faith. And I don't look down on them. I think, you know, how much of that is me, mm-hmm. how much of that is my blind spots where I'm, I'm not trusting him. Like the, the Tim Keller quote, I'm not, I'm not trusting him. I don't see his sovereignty. I'm just getting caught up in my daily life to where I, mm-hmm. I don't believe, I don't believe his promises. I don't believe that he's good and I'm letting the world drag me down. Yeah. Like we get so, uh, the disciples were very familiar with him, right? They had this familiar everyday experience with Jesus. And so I think it's very human or in a, in a broken human sense to kind of just be no longer wowed, right? No longer impressed. And so there's something uh, convicting and challenging and also refreshing with here you have two groups, one group that's tired, they've been serving, they've been laboring for Jesus, for the kingdom, and they just want some rest. And you have this other group that is just the fervor and the excitement and the the desire, like you you said something that made me think, wow, these people are motivated by probably one of three things to go and chase him down to wherever he's going to end up when he gets out of that boat. This great crowd that's coming from the towns and villages nearby and are following around, they've either seen what he can do or heard what he has said before. So they've witnessed it. They've witnessed his, his, the authoritative teaching and the authority of the kingdom demonstrated through demons being cast out or healings. Or they've heard, someone that they trust has said, I saw or I heard this guy do this and say this. And so they're like, I got to see it for myself. So they're either people that have been with him and, and experienced his authority or people that have heard from trusted friends of his authority Both parties just want more. They're like, I got to check it out. And so rather than being somebody who's just familiar with Jesus, like he's so normal, man, I am convicted in desire to be somebody like that crowd that's like, let's get fired up because he has got the words of life and he's got the life that I want in me. And am I talking to people about what he has said and what he has done? because I've witnessed it. And so now I want to go see it again and I'm going to bring others with me. Or am I somebody who has, I've heard of this Jesus and I've seen what he's done in someone else's life. And so I've got to check it out for myself. I think that today, man, you're, you're in one of those two groups because if you're listening to this podcast, 
you're either somebody who has seen and heard and knows Jesus, or because you've listened to this podcast, you've now heard two guys that believe he's absolutely 100% real, and this did physically happen, and we believe him to be the Son of God, and we can testify in our lives how he has transformed us, and we've seen his, his power, his authority, and his love in our life, and so now you've heard of him. And so you might be a little intrigued. I got to find out for myself. I got to see him for myself. I got to hear his teaching for myself. And good news, it's right here. It's in the Bible. The Bible is the collected teaching of Christ. The whole thing's about him. And we could get into that. But Old Testament, New Testament, everything testifies to who Jesus is. And so if you're wrestling with that for the first time, take and read And I would encourage you that as you get ready to take and read, say a prayer. It can be a short, simple prayer and just say, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. It could be a short prayer that just says, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see you for who you really are. You can come to him and say, Lord, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I need rest. You are clearly a God of compassion. Please have compassion on me. Give me rest and feed my soul. Those are simple ways you can come to the Lord and guess what? He sees and he has compassion. That's the God he is. If you come desiring him, believing that he can give you rest and fulfillment, he will. That's just who he is. So powerful word today. Sorry, I got a little, I got fired up there at the end. It's great. Man, what a good what a good word. You lose that sometimes you lose that uh that fervor, that excitement. Yeah. And it's it's good to be reminded of it. Yeah. To think in that prayer, help me be help me be the person who's looking ahead to see where he's going. How can I be there when he gets there just yeah. to hear him? Is that the way that you approach your Bible or you just listen to this podcast to to knock it off your list? Amen. Well, if you, uh, if, as you listen to this podcast, this episode, or you take and read this passage in Mark chapter six, thoughts or questions, comments, please, uh, leave, leave those in the comments. That's a great place for others that are conversing and wrestling with this stuff to engage. If you have a particular question for me or for Parker, please email me, take and read podcast at gmail.com. Love to get those questions and try to fire off answers to those as best I can. Uh, if you're somebody who's wrestling with plugging into a local church, uh, email me. I'll try to help you find a place to plug in. Uh, if you're trying to figure out what Bible to get, what translation, I get those emails often. So yeah, fire one off to me. I'll help you get squared away with a translation of the Bible that makes sense. Uh, but my desire through this podcast is I do not want my name to become known. I want to make his name known. He must increase, I must decrease, so I pray that you take and read the Bible. That's the goal. And so the more and more people that can do that, the better. Uh, so, I, yeah, please reach out to me. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And, uh, Parker, thanks for being here today. Uh, on a parting word, do you think you could give us one of your own authentic yee-yees? I don't want to alarm the church staff. Can I do a real one? Yeah, just lean back. Okay, here he goes. He's leaning back. Dude, that was money. <laughs> I hope that got on the... Uh, um, 
there may be people that show up at my office door right now worried about <laughs> you it. You asked for it. I did. That was awesome. <laughs> All righty. Take and read. 